such a blessing to be here with you to worship today. You may be wondering why I snapped a picture of you. I wish I had done that 20 years ago. Today is the 20th year that I accepted the pastoral care of Bethlehem. It was on the fourth Sunday in 2002 of March of that year. And uh, my oh my, <laughs> uh, I think of the verse of Scripture, Ephesians 3 and 20, where it says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. There's a little spot back here behind the old church building where at one point I went out in the woods. It's now a parking lot. And I went out there and I prayed. I got down on my knees and I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, you've burdened me to be here. There's only about six or seven of us. And if it's your will and if it's pleasing to you, Lord, bless it to grow. Not for my glory, not for my name's sake, but for your glory and for the name's sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can truly say that the Lord has done exceeding abundantly above all that I could ever have asked or prayed for. Now, I want to be very cautious about the message today because I don't want to make it all about me. Because <laughs> we didn't get here today, 20 years later, by me making it all about me. But I do want to share a few memories with you as we look to the Word of God. And we've been hovering around Acts, the second chapter in the 42nd verse. If you want to go ahead and, and be turning there, that's where we're going to at least start but as I said, on March the 10th, 2002, that was the second Sunday in March, the church at Bethlehem meeting over here in this other building in conference voted to call me as their pastor after a long time pastor, Elder Armand Rich, had resigned just a, a week or two before. And on the fourth Sunday, a couple weeks later, I'll be honest with you, when they called me, I already knew, but I just wanted to give it a reasonable amount of time make sure that I was following the leadership of the Lord. So a couple Sundays later, on this Sunday, 20 years ago, I gave them the answer that I would accept the pastoral care under the direction and leadership of the Lord. Now I want to just give a, a shout out, as they say here, to the members at that time. These are the folks that called for me to become the pastor. It was Brother Mackie Deason, Sister Maud White, Sister Evelyn Friday, Brother Clarence Hitt, Sister Irma Hitt, Brother Rayford Duran, and there was, best I can tell, there were two other members at that time, and that was Sister Tracy and myself. I don't know if Sister Tracy voted for me or not. I'm not sure, but, but anyway, if she was here, I know she did. But I think we were actually out. I was preaching somewhere else that Sunday when they called. And also, I don't want to leave off Sister Sandra, because Sister Sandra was here attending at the time, and she was the first member to ever join under my pastoral care a few months later, which was, I tell you what, I wondered if anybody would ever join. <laughs> and Sister Sandra, you'll never know how important that was to me and how encouraging that was, just to have the first person join. <laughs> so Sister Sandra became a member just a few months later. Now, I want you to know that my burden for serving this area, this community, these communities, and this church and you, not one time for one moment in those 20 years has my burden for you wavered. I've never second-guessed. I've never thought this is, I don't, I don't think this is where I need to be or I need to move on. Not one time. Now, you know, the Lord could, obviously, the Lord's in control of where he places his 
his preachers, but the Lord can change that tomorrow. But I tell you today, as I stand here before you, my burden is just the same. It's just the same as it was those many years ago. I think of the hymn from our hymn book, number 356. It says, Time, what an empty vapor it is, and days, how swift they are. Swift as an Indian arrow flies, or like a shooting star. The present moments just appear, then slide away in haste, that we can never say they're here, but only say they're past. Our life is ever on the wing, and death is ever nigh. The moment when our lives begin, we all begin to die. That's very sobering. Yet, mighty God, our fleeting days, thy lasting favor share. Yet with the bounties of thy grace, thou loadest the rolling year. Thou loadest us with benefits and blessings each year. So I, I want to mention those brothers and sisters that were here. And I could spend the rest of this time telling you, especially Brother Mackey, <laughs> telling you stories and, and events and providences and encounters. That's not what we're here for, though. But I'm just telling you, just like I have the same thing with practically all of you, those, those brothers and sisters were precious. And I believe we can not only honor them in their vision from all those years ago, I believe we can honor the Lord by saying the Lord gave them that vision. Where there is no vision, the people perish. So we've gone from eight little souls here at Bethlehem. And I'm going to do like Paul. I'm going to speak as a fool. Whenever Paul would begin to talk about the things that he had accomplished, he said, I speak as a fool. <laughs> so everybody would understand. There's a caveat there. This isn't about what I or you or me, we've accomplished. It's about glory to God. But I say that I speak as a fool because that's what Paul did. We've gone from eight little souls as of these two baptisms today and the four that we expect to do next week, Lord willing, will be very close to 150 members, which is in the scope of things. That's very large for a primitive Baptist church. Praise God. All glory to God. We've gone from eight little souls to that number. And again, we're not into numbers. We don't have one of those things up on the wall that says membership, attendance, all that type of stuff, okay? We've gone from eight little souls who were all over 60 to a new building, two ordained elders out of this church, Brother Luke and Brother Neil, one young brother exercising, Brother McNeil. We ordained Brother Chris 10 years ago last weekend. We've seen a church established. I mean, that's basically, I know we say Zion revived, but it's a, it was a church established or reestablished. Amen. It was down to one, to, to nothing, basically. And by the way, side note, Zion is the church that extended an arm in 1901 to establish Bethlehem. Isn't it neat that we got to extend an arm back to them to reestablish them? Amen. Praise God. We almost had another church established in Carrollton. Y'all remember that? We met down there for about two and a half or three years. Many of you were able to attend that. So like Paul, I speak as a fool. Think about how God has blessed in these many years. Now, as we look at Acts 2 and 42, I want to give you this. Where will we be in the next 20 years? First of all, let's consider how we got here. How we got here, this beautiful congregation. More young people than older people. <laughs> Let's look at Acts 2 and 42, and as you're turning there, I want to remind you of a, a little story that happened to me years ago. Brother Gary Farley, who was the director of the Pickens Baptist Association, the Missionary Baptist Association, dear friend of mine, back whenever we were beginning to grow and, and just 
increase. Brother Gary Farley came to see me. We had many spiritual conversations. You know, he was a missionary Baptist, and he wanted to know. He said, Brother Tim, what are y'all doing down there? <laughs> he said, you know, the other churches around are losing members. They're not increasing. I'm not saying every church, but many churches in the rural area especially were decreasing. And he said, I just want to know what y'all are doing. And I was always kind of joked around, Brother Gary. I was like, are you sure you want to know what we're doing, Brother Gary? <laughs> Probably going to blow your mind. I took him to Acts 2 and 42. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. I said, that's what we're doing. You see, what modern religion is missing, and, that, and you want to know why so many young people are falling away from church in general. And I'm not talking about here, but church in general. It's because there's an idea that when the children start out small, the idea is to entertain them like children's church and things like that. As I've said many times, we're not here to be entertained. We are here to entertain God by how you focus, how you pray, how you sing, how you speak, how you interact. So you want to know why there's so many falling away. It's because the young folks or the children, they start out trying to entertain them. And as they get older, they have to increase the level of entertainment. And there's so much entertainment going on in religious circles. And I want you to think about this. You can get all the entertainment that you need for six days a week, right? I mean, you got this phone, you got that iPad, you got the games, you got the movies, you got this, you got that. I pray to God it's godly content, but you can be entertained all week. When we come to the church of, the, of God, and the reason so many people, young people are falling away is because that's the mentality. They're losing their interest because it's not as entertaining as they get older. So that's why we worship together. That's why the families are with one another. That's why the children are with the mamas and the daddies. That's why we don't have a children's church. Because we're not here to entertain you, and you're not here to entertain me. We are here to perform and entertain for our God in heaven. That's a whole different mindset. Whole different mentality. You could have your entertainment six days a week, but when you come here, you come here as a performer. You're here to perform. That's what they did. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and the apostles' fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. When I look at you guys this morning, you are a wonder to me. How did we get here? How did you get here? You know your story. You know the door that God opened. You know the way your heart was burdened and there was that gap and the truth of the gospel filled that for you. How did we get here? I look, you're a wonder to me. And you're also a sign to me in a sense because obviously the Lord's not through with Bethlehem Church down here. We got two baptisms this morning. We have more next week. More people have come and attended since COVID. Oh my goodness, can we not praise God for that? So many churches are closing their doors. We need to humble ourselves and get down on our knees and say, Lord, thank you. <laughs> Who am I and what is my house that thou hast brought up me hither to? Now here, last week, I got to give credit where credit was due, but I was listening to a sermon by Elder Josh Coker. And if you hear a few things that I say in this sermon today and you go listen to Brother Josh and you say, well, oh, Brother Tim, plagiarize some of what he says. I've already told him I'm going to plagiarize it. <laughs> it was that good. I had to get it. And he and I were talking after I listened to his sermon about Mark 14. I want you, if you ever need confirmation that God is blessing the way that you worship, and listen, that you today, almost 2,000 years after the time of Christ, you are worshiping exactly the way that Christ worshiped with the apostles. Turn to Mark 14. And I was about to come out of my seat when I, when I saw this. 
And Brother Josh and I, just, we just kept building off each other when we began to talk about it. Mark 14 and verse 22. Now you think about it. How did they worship? How can we say, well, this is what I think you ought to do in worship? Am I just saying it's my opinion? Or does it, is there a scriptural foundation for this? Mark 14 and 22. And by the way, this would be the first worship service of the New Testament. Are you with me? This is the first thing. This is the, the, the old Passover from the old days is now over. And now they're entering into the New Testament economy or the New Testament worship. Okay? So this is the first worship service that Christ Himself conducted. Is that, have I made that plain enough? <laughs> Look what they do. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave to them and said, take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily, I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And verse 26 closes out the worship service. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Every element that we still do today is contained in this first New Testament worship service. Every single element. First of all, it says that he prayed. Notice they were taking communion, by the way. So obviously communion is a part of the New Testament worship service. <laughs> right? By the way, these guys had already been baptized. So Jesus, it says, as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed it. It also says that he gave thanks over the wine when he was about to distribute it. Now, the word blessed is the word where we get our word for eulogy. Like when you eulogize someone at a funeral. To invoke a benediction or to praise. It's to pray. So they prayed. Christ himself prayed. Now, when it says that he gave thanks over the wine... That's the word eucharisto, which means to express gratitude or like you would say grace at a meal. So can we say they prayed in the first worship service of the New Testament, didn't they? Amen. <laughs> Y'all awake this morning? Great. <laughs> All right. So what's the next element of New Testament worship? It is to preach. And some of y'all may say, well, you know, I like to hear you preach, Brother Tim. Maybe you don't. That's OK. I still love you. <laughs> but could you imagine getting to hear Jesus Christ preach. I can't fathom it. And the stuff that I felt in my heart when the Lord was blessing a minister of the gospel, the way my life has been changed by the preaching of the gospel. Could you imagine sitting there listening to the blessed words of the Son of God as He preaches in this first worship service? And He speaks of what? He says, this is my... He points to the bread. He said, this is my body. It is broken for you. <laughs> He takes the wine. This is symbolic of my blood, which is shed for you. Don't you know all those times that Jesus had been teaching about giving His life as a ransom to having eating of His flesh and drinking of His blood? Don't you know that all came to fruition right there? As they, and they, of course, they still didn't get it. They still didn't understand He was going to die. But as He was saying that to them, this is a symbol of my broken body and this is a symbol of my shed blood. I believe that we can conclude there was preaching in that first worship service. Amen? Amen. There's preaching. So we got praying. We got preaching. And then look what it says in verse 26. When they had sung a hymn, 
they went out into the Mount of Olives. The word sing right there, it comes from a root word from the Psalms in the Old Testament. Because that's kind of, that's what Psalm or the, the Hebrew word salo or the Greek word in the New Testament is salo. It means to sing. Okay? It means to celebrate God in song. Is that not what we do when we come together and we have that, those 30 minutes of celebrating God in song? They sang, they preached, and they prayed. And, according to Acts 2 and 42, they did something else. They continued in the apostles' fellowship. Could you imagine sitting around the table having fellowship with Jesus Christ? And you say, well, where's the fellowship come in? If you'll read on in Mark, the 14th chapter, you'll find that after he had prayed and blessed the ceremony, after he had preached to them, and after they had sung a hymn, it says that they went out into the Mount of Olives and they continued to be together. They continued to fellowship. He continued to talk to them about the things that he was going to do. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I know in some of your wicked little minds, you're thinking, boy, that was a short worship service. I thought the same thing. <laughs> you know, think about it. Was it 15 minutes? Was it 20 minutes? Was it 30 minutes? It, it had to be pretty short. If that's everything that's contained, you could actually time it at home. Do a role-playing thing and let everybody read it out and see how long it takes. It wouldn't take very long. But you've got to remember this. Christ was pressed for time. You hear me? There was something coming within just a few hours. The greatest moment in history. The greatest event that has ever occurred. I'm sorry, it wasn't landing on the moon. The greatest event that's ever occurred in history. He's pressed for time. So he made it short and sweet. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. Many years ago, before my time, my grandfather McCool went to a funeral of someone he knew over in Lamar County, and they went to the funeral home, and nobody really knew my grandfather. And my great-grandfather was preaching the funeral. <laughs> And he was fixing to start the service and so forth. And so my granddaddy McCool walks in. He's standing at the back trying to find a place to sit. The funeral home director is standing there talking with the guy. And the guy says, well, who's preaching the funeral? And the funeral home director shook his head. And he said, man, it's one of those long-winded McCools. <laughs> I'm going to tell you now, that stuck with me. I don't want to be a long-winded McCool. I want to keep it short and sweet. I believe in short weddings and short funerals. I want people to go away with a good taste in their mouth instead of saying, I thought he'd never hush. Now, that is not to say that I have not gone over 12 o'clock. But those of you who weren't checking your clock on those days, if the Spirit was blessing, you didn't even know it. Until I said, oh my goodness, we were going over. <laughs> so don't get the idea, okay, well, if we're going to be exactly like that first worship service, we're going to shorten it down to 15 minutes. <laughs> Listen, whether you realize it or not, you're not pressed for time. You're not pressed for time. There is nothing this day, you could, listen, we read where the Apostle Paul started preaching it, and he continued until midnight. <laughs> you know, also, side note, funny note, in Acts it says that there was a young fellow sitting up in the loft, and he fell asleep, and he fell down and died. <laughs> so just remember, if you fall asleep, you might fall out and die if the service goes long. <laughs> and by the way, the Apostle Paul raised him from the dead. <laughs> so... You don't, you don't have anything better to do than to listen to the preaching of the gospel. Notice I didn't say listen to Brother Tim. I don't care if it's Brother Neil, Brother Luke, Brother McNeil, me, Brother Chris, Brother Buddy, Brother John Morgan. I don't care who it is. There is nothing that you could do better in your day than to listen to the preaching of the gospel and worship the Lord. You don't have, you don't have, you're not pressed for time. You say, well, yeah, i got to be somewhere, Brother Tim. Well, I do too. But you're not at all pressed for time like Christ was. The hour was upon Him. The day had come. The culmination of everything that he was 
coming to the world to do was upon him. Holy glory was guiding his every step as he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and continued to fellowship with the apostles. There was glory upon him. And he was ready. The time was at hand. He was pressed for time. And when the time came, it's almost like time stood still in a sense because the Lord poured out his wrath on his son and enough wrath was poured out on his son, eternal wrath, so that in that, those few short hours on the cross, God was satisfied. Don't tell me you're pressed for time. If you feel like you're pressed for time, maybe it's time to reevaluate. <laughs> Why am I pressed for time? They sang, they preached, they prayed, and they fellowship. Now listen, I'm not telling you this so you can go around and thumb your lapels and say, hey, hey, look at us. That's not the point. And it's not about, oh, okay, well, I'm right and you're wrong. That's not what this is about. I'm not trying to validate or stroke your ego to think, well, okay, you know, we got it right. I'm just showing you from the Scripture that what you're doing here today is the same pattern as what they did all those years ago. And if you want to know how you got down here to this day, 20 years down the road from the time that I was called as a pastor here, it's by doing these things. Singing, preaching, praying, fellowshipping. That is the model. That's the program for the church of God. And it's so simple. Don't overlook the fact that they were eating. <laughs> now, I'm not suggesting you bring your chips and your Coke and your drink. You know, Brother Furman would have a heart attack if you brought your drinks in here and started spilling them everywhere. <laughs> they were... <laughs> I think we got that on the, on the tape for sure. But <laughs> you'd be carrying around more than his mop if y'all did that. <laughs> but you understand... They were eating the communion supper. They were having communion, you see? But I always like to say, we meet, we eat. We meet, we eat. We eat the gospel, we eat spiritual food. But praise be to God, a couple Sundays, three Sundays a month, if it's a five Sunday month, you know, we, have, we eat and we fellowship and we look each other in the eye and we talk to each other. That's part of the New Testament pattern. <laughs> so, notice this too in verse 22. It says that Jesus blessed what was there. He break it. And he gave it. That is a pattern for the preaching of the gospel today. I tell you, we ask the brother who prayed, Brother Eric, whoever else prays, pray that the breaking of the bread of life will be something that will feed the people of God. That's a pattern in the New Testament church there. He blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it away. I tell you what I get throughout the week, what the Lord gives me in study, and what he shows me in his word. I can't wait to get here and break it and give it to you. And I pray to God that he'll bless it. You see? I tell you, it may not bless you sometimes, but it sure blesses me to share it. <laughs> I feel like sometimes I'd explode if I couldn't share it. <laughs> so, can there be any question that they were not there to be entertained? They were there entertaining God. Father in heaven was looking upon that first New Testament worship service. He didn't take his eyes off of it, I'm telling you. I'm telling you today, child of God, if we're worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth, the Lord doesn't take His eyes off of what you're doing. It makes you want to kind of click your heels and pay a little better attention, doesn't it? I'm not even going to go there. I was going to say sometimes you might feel a thump in the back of your head. It's probably your mama, but it might be God, you know, to wake you back up. Pow! Okay, so where have we been in the last 20 years? How did we get here? This is how we got here. This is how you have a new, nice building to worship in. This is how you hear. This is from the preaching of the gospel. I preached or somebody preached and somebody told you about it and somebody may have told somebody to tell you about it and the next thing you know, a door is open and you're listening to the truth. Praise be to God. That's the biblical pattern. It's a mystery. It's a total mystery how those doors open. Now the question is, where will we be? Where will we be 20 years from now? I wish I'd preached that 20 years ago. Where will we be 20 years from now? 
But I ask you today, if the Lord tarries, where will we be 20 years from now? Whatever age you are, I want you to think right now. If you're 17, 18, 20, if you're 50, I'll be 70 years old in 20 years. Can y'all believe that? Y'all better take a good look at me because I'm pretty good looking right now. But by the time I'm 70, I'll look horrid. (laughs) I'm just kidding. At least Sister Tracy thinks I'm good looking. That's all that matters. So where will you be in 20 years? Do your math. You know, 20 years, 30 years, that's about a generation. You remember we talk about Lot a lot. And he absolutely ruined it in 20 years. He destroyed it in 20 years because of the decisions that he made. Where will we be in 20 years? I tell you, it of course depends on the Spirit of God, the blessings of God. You know, the Lord opens, no man can shut. The Lord shuts, no man can open. But at the same time, it has a lot to do with you and what you do and how you think. See? Where is the Ephesian church today? It's gone. I think that Ephesian church was probably a 50 to 60 year life, you know, lifetime church. Maybe, maybe, I don't know that it made it 100 years. I'd have to do a little more research. But it was basically a generation or two church, and it's gone. And if I, the best I can tell from studying through the years, the most that is said about any church in the New Testament, now you could discount maybe 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians because those are two very long letters, But the most details that you get for any church is the Ephesians church, the church at Ephesus. It's interesting that the most detailed doctrinal teaching that you get goes to the church at Ephesus, is it not? In Ephesians chapter 1, where we have the rich, beautiful, simple doctrine laid out, (laughs) that church is gone. I think I mentioned this to you a few weeks ago. In the area where the Ephesians church was, it's 99.9% Muslim. You go into the area where the church at Ephesus was, which is just a little village now. It's just a poor little hamlet. You would be hard-pressed to find anybody that even really knew anything about Jesus Christ. And this is the church that the Lord wrote to from Revelation. This is the church that we have that beautiful doctrine and practice listed in the book of Ephesians. This is the church that we have really more details in the book of Acts about what went down there. And we're going to talk about that when we consider where will we be 20 years from now. You know, I love the story of Secretariat. <laughs> and I've told you before, if you're going to watch a movie, Secretariat's one of the best. You know, any movie that quotes the book of Job when it starts, I just start bawling. I just, tears just start coming out of my eyes. I love to hear the book of Job quoted. But Secretariat was a unique horse. He started slow. And everybody's having a heart attack. But in the end, he kicked it in and blew away all the competition. By the way, that horse's record still stand today. That's crazy, isn't it? Nobody's ever beaten that horse. He started slow. He finished his race as a champion. See? Now, on one hand, you could look at us and you say, well, it's been 20 years, but we, we started kind of fast. <laughs> now, you want to see somebody that's really started fast, look at Zion. <laughs> Brother Chris will tell you about it. He'll bend your ear about it. You know, and he says it's due to his lack of faith. Y'all heard him say that. You know, Brother Chris says, I think the Lord blessed us to have just a church poop pop open like a can and a bunch of people there because of Brother Chris's lack of faith. He said, I don't think I had faith enough to wait. <laughs> so they're like 30, 40 people within 18 months. But here, it's been a little different. You've had here a little, there a little, here a little, there a little, here a little, there a little. But in terms of spiritual growth and churches, it, it's still fast. It's still pretty fast. I look back on 20 years and I think, where did it go? And then I look at each of you and I can think of each individual providential story and door open and I think, I see where it went. Praise be to God. So I would rather start slow and finish strong, you know? But I believe God has blessed us to really start strong. I want us to finish strong. I'm talking about your lifetime 
There's some of you here who are near the end of your life, and I am. And you want to finish strong in the church of God. You want to finish with a witness in the church of God. You want to finish in peace in the church of God. You know, two things occurred to me as I thought back on the last 20 years. We have been blessed with just abundant peace, have we not? We have been blessed with peace. Peace is priceless for the child of God. And the other thing that occurred to me, did you know that I have never once, individually or out of the pulpit, ever once asked anyone for money? You hear me? That's a mantra that you'll hear in practically every denominational church that you'll go to. We need more money. We've got to meet the bottom line. Not one time in 20 years have I ever stood up here and said, y'all need to, y'all need to get on it now. You know, I need some more money or I need you to give to this. Now, we have given to individual things and says, here's a need, you know, but we've never begged people for money and we're not going to because it's not money that fuels the kingdom of God. It's the Spirit of God. Now, let's beg all day long. And I've implored you and encouraged you, pray to God and ask God to open the door. But that's interesting. We've had abundant peace. Let's don't let that change. And money has never been the focus of the church of God. Praise God. Let's keep it that way. Now, look at Acts 19. i got to move along. Or some of y'all will be wishing for that short First New Testament communion service length. (laughs) Acts 19. That was a joke. Acts 19. I do know that I have gotten a lot less funny through the years. That's for sure. (laughs) Thank you, Brother Jim. That That really makes me feel even more funny. Acts 19. And let's look at verse 10. Okay? Well, I want to back up and let's get verse 8. All right, this is Paul in Ephesus now. That's why we're using this. The Ephesians, okay? It says that Paul went into the synagogue, spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them, separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. Daily now, did you catch that? And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, this is where we completely plagiarized Elder Josh Coker. (laughs) And I asked him for permission, so we're not plagiarizing. But Brother Josh ran the numbers on this. And listen to this now. If you use a conservative estimate that the Apostle Paul taught for three hours a day, it says daily for two years. Are y'all with me? Three hours a day, that may be conservative. He could have taught 10 hours a day under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But let's just say he taught three hours a day. If Paul taught three hours per day for two years, that is 2,190 hours. That's a conservative estimate because the Apostle Paul was known to preach for six or seven hours sometimes. Okay, if we spend one hour per week with God, that's 52 hours per year. And it would take us 42 years to do what they did in two. Does that not smack you? Now that smacks me in the face. It would take us 42 years. If that's all the time that we give to God, it takes us 42 years to get what they got in two years. Now look, I'm not advocating... You know, set me up and preach me every day for three hours. But I'm going to tell you what, if that opportunity came up, why would I not? If that opportunity was there, it was there for Paul. (laughs) I mean, what's the most important thing we do? I'll tell you this, that when the Lord burdened me to become the preacher here, the pastor here, I said in my mind that under all the possible power that is within me, I will let nothing get in the way of serving the people of God. 
Not practicing law, not farming, not hobbies, not entertainment, not vacations. I will let nothing get in the way of serving the people of God. That's how I view what God has called me to do. And child of grace, that's not just for the minister. You should view your service to God in the same way. We should let nothing get in the way of serving God. But we're so prone to wander, are we not? So, let's don't take 42 years to get in the time that the Apostle Paul was able to get in, at least a conservative estimate, that took him two years. You know, I'm telling you, when you start studying the Word of God and you engage the Word of God, whether it's listening to preaching, of course, and maybe listening to podcasts, or just sitting down and studying on your own, which is required, commanded by God, time flies. It flies. You'll sit down and get, engage the Word of God, and the next thing you know, 30 minutes has passed. I've done that, and an hour has passed. But if you don't ever engage it, you'll never know. And if you feel like your life is just creeping along, and it's just you're not getting anywhere, and you're spinning your wheels, and you just can't figure out why these things keep happening to you, and why everything's against you, maybe it's time to get in the Word of God, and your life will start flying by, just like that right there. And you'll look back like the Ecclesiastes says, that the good man or the good woman looks back on the days of their life and say, where did it go? Where did it go? One of the things that they did is they sacrificed their idols at Ephesus. Where will we be in 20 years? Look at verse 18. Many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. This is Ephesus now. This is the church at Ephesus, which doesn't exist anymore. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together. This was their entertainment. And burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. When they got their idols out of the way, it says, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. You know, if you've, if you've slidden an idol over just a little bit in your life, and the Lord has just gushed in and rushed in with His Spirit and His Word and the preaching, and it's just filled you up. Can you imagine what will happen if you just take that idol and just put it in the trash? <laughs> can you imagine? I don't believe we've tapped into what God can do. I tell you, we read clearly in the Scripture that the Lord Jesus said He didn't do miracles in a certain area because the people's minds were on something else. Whenever we put away our idols, you say, well, I don't know that I have any. you got a phone. That's a temptation right there to become an idol, just like that. You might have an iPad. You might have a 70-inch big screen TV at home. You might have a job that keeps you away from church. You might have other endeavors. You might be involved in sports that takes you away from church. I tell you, get your idols out of the way, and God's Spirit just rushes in and blesses you. We're not talking about prosperity gospel. We don't believe that. We don't teach that. I'm telling you that the Lord will abide with you. His presence will be felt. They sacrificed their idols. And many people were standing around going, oh my goodness, how can they live without that? You can live. They also sacrificed their comfort. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 30, the Apostle Paul says, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. Now that word, it literally means beast fighter. It can mean a physical fight with animals because the Roman circus was around. Different little circuses were around in those days. And again, I've told you before, that's not the kind of circus you wanted to go to. <laughs> you didn't want to participate in that circus because they'd cast Christians down in the middle of the circus and they would be devoured by or fight with wild animals, the gladiator games. So we don't know for sure, if the, we don't have a record that the Apostle Paul actually fought an animal, but I think he was referring to the individuals that he encountered, like Demetrius the silversmith, who stirred up a riot in the town of Ephesus to try to quench the revival that was taking place. They gave up their comfort. Paul gave up his comfort. The people gave up their comfort. Look, there's a chair in our den at the house. It's the most comfortable chair that I think has ever existed on the planet. It's one of these little double chairs, and it's real soft. It's not very pretty. Lord bless my wife. She suffers it to be in there. But I had to hire some lobbyists. You know, I had to pay the kids some money to keep lobbying for that chair to come up from the basement 
I was like, oh, I missed that chair. I missed that chair. Hey, by the way, you and me, Sister Tracy, we could sit together right next to each other on that chair. You come to my house, I'm going to be in that chair. That is the best chair that has ever existed on the planet. And what if God walked in? What if the Lord Jesus Christ walked in, knocked on my door, came in the house and said, hey, Brother Tim, you give up that chair. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you some more opportunities to preach the truth. Your back's going to hurt, but I'll give you some more opportunities. Would I hesitate? Would I hesitate to give up that comfort, that comfort zone? These people at Ephesus at that point were willing to give up their comfort zone. You know, the beautiful confession that Brother Ethan gave last week, that's not something you do on a daily basis. That's not something that just happens every day. It takes courage. You need to get out of your comfort zone to do something like that. Sister Clara, what she said this morning, that little darling had to get out of her comfort zone. I know she didn't know I was going to bring that microphone in front of her face. I didn't tell her that. But she did so good. She was out of her comfort zone. Get out of your comfort zone. You say, what does that mean, Brother Tim? Let's talk. We can figure it out. But you know what happened at Ephesus? In those several decades that the church was there, they ran out of gas. That's not a hard thing to do nowadays either with gas prices being so high. But they ran out of gas. And what I mean is they ran out of love. The Lord rebuked them and gave them another chance in Revelation. He said, remember and repent and return to your first love. I tell you, our first love should be the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, my next 20 years, Lord willing, and the Lord tarries. Your next 20 years here at Bethlehem. It starts today. This is the beginning of the next 20 years. Start your next 20 years as a participant here. Start in prayer. Go home and pray today for the services next week. Will you do that for me? Pray tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And when you realize you forgot, like I often do, pray double. Pray again. Pray for the services. It starts today. Don't be thinking of ways. Well, I don't know if you know, I'm going to be able to get here next week. Don't start thinking like that. Pray right now that the Lord will bless you to be here next week. You see? Also, read your Bible. Read your Bible. I don't want to embarrass her publicly, but Sister Kinsley's sitting back there, and I'm going to tell you one of the most encouraging things that happened to me during COVID is two sweet little high school seniors, and she was one of them, came to me and said, Brother Tim, we want to know more about the Bible. And for what? how many times, Sister Kinsley? 26 times, almost 30 times, we got together on an almost weekly basis every couple weeks, and we studied through the Old Testament. I was refreshed every time. They, they might have been bored. I don't think they said they weren't. <laughs> But her and Sister Taylor, they might have been bored, but I enjoyed it so much. I looked forward to it. That was one of the most encouraging things. And I'm not just trying to single out one. There were several things, and we could go on. But that's one of the most encouraging things during the COVID time. When everybody else is retreating, when everybody else is hiding, I've got these lovely young people who have a burden to learn more about the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how encouraging that is. Read your Bible. You say, I, want to know, I don't know where to start. What am I here for? <laughs> Check in with each other. Check on each other. You know, we started out praying, singing, and fellowshipping, and preaching. And I hope that's how we finish it out. When, as long as I'm here, I pray to God that's how we finish it out. Fellowshipping, checking in on each other. You know, with the texting, I, I mean, you know, it can be real aggravating. And especially when I type the wrong word and it, I look like a fool. But it's so easy to check in on somebody nowadays with texting. I try to do that regularly. Some of you, I'll text you. Sometimes I have somebody on my mind and in my prayers, and I just, I'm just going to send them a text. I can't tell you how many times they say, you're not, you're not going to believe what was going on with me when you texted me. 
So don't tell me that the Lord can't use that method of communication just to touch in with somebody. Now let me, let me give you some ways to ensure, as we're closing out here, ways to ensure that we won't be here in 20 years. This will ensure that we will not be here in 20 years. I'm not going to finish on the negative, so hang with me. <laughs> Number one, sporadic church attendance. If everybody under the sound of my voice just said, okay, well, I'm just going to attend when I can, we will not be here in 20 years. We won't. Let me say this too to the parents. If you want to guarantee that you will lose your children to the church, then engage in sporadic church attendance. Because if it doesn't mean something to you, it will mean less to them. Amen. Isn't it funny? The things that we do bad, a lot of times our children take it to an even worse level. <laughs> and then the things that we do good, we have no guarantee that they'll even follow that. That's because we're broken vessels. You understand? But if you want to guarantee that your children will die to the church, sporadically attend, put work or sports or other things, entertainment in front of that. You know, there's a reason why Major League Baseball and NFL play on Sunday. Number two, only interact with one another for one and a half hours per week and never interact outside of public worship. That'll guarantee that we won't be here in 20 years. By the way, if you think about it, we're not really interacting right now. Y'all are just listening to me preach, right? <laughs> I'm kind of interacting with you, and I see your smiles and your nods and your amens and some of your frowns. I'm just kidding. Nobody's frowning. <laughs> but this is really not interaction. But if you want to guarantee that the church won't be here in 20 years, then don't interact outside of Sunday. Okay? Three, never pray for each other. The church won't be here. Never pray for each other. Maybe you'll have a burden like I had many years ago to make a list, and I still have a list. And maybe you're sitting there saying, you know, I don't even know everybody's name well enough to put on that list. Well, you don't have to post that on Facebook. You can just talk to me, and I'll give you everybody's name. I've been tempted many times through the years to just go one after the other and name your name. It'd take a while to do that. We have so many. But I can do that. I can name every person. And then somebody new shows up, and I'm like, uh-oh, now I don't know that person, so I better not try it. They'll feel left out. <laughs> You say, I don't know their names, so put them on a list. I've got the list. All you got to do is call me, text me. Never get involved in each other's lives. Keep church categorized so it's just a checklist. Oh, this is going to sting a little bit. You want to guarantee that we, we probably won't be here in 20 years? This is a small thing. Only sit in the same place every lunchtime we eat. Only sit in the same place and never sit with somebody that you don't know that well. That's staying a little bit. There's a reason why I'm a table hopper. <laughs> I go in there and I look, I see who's sitting by themselves. I eat lunch here with this person. I eat dessert with this person. I sip tea with this person. That's not just for the pastor to do that. You say, well, I just don't think I can do that, Brother Tim. Let me tell you how to do it. Walk in there with your plate and your drink and look at the place where you usually sit and pass it by. And just <laughs> keep walking and sit somewhere else and say, hey, my name's Jane or John or Bob or Fred. How you doing? Oh, I'll tell you, Harold McCool would be so proud of you if you did that because that's what he made me do. <laughs> it's that easy. Number six, never invite anyone to church. We probably won't be here in 20 years. I'm so glad that you feel comfortable inviting people to church. That blesses my heart. It's such a blessing. Number seven, don't be friendly. <laughs> Just walk in, keep your nose in the air, sit in your place, and never speak to anybody. 
If everybody did that, you'll guarantee the church won't be here in 20 years. Only hang around your little comfort group, your little group, and that will pretty much guarantee that the church won't be here in 20 years. Number nine, parents, don't teach your kids to love the other kids. <laughs> I guarantee you that that will lead to us not being here sometime down the road. Everyone is different. Everyone is a sinner. And if you shun one another or you don't make your children engage, you are signing their death warrant to the church. You hear me? Just for a moment. I know I'm going over, but forgive me. It's a 20-year anniversary, okay? <laughs> I didn't intend to do this. I figured I would be through, but I'm just having so much fun. So just imagine the foot of our bed, Sister Tracy and I, through the last 20 years. We'll be laying there almost asleep, you know, I'm not going to say that Sister Tracy's snoring, but anyway, we're almost asleep, and here comes a little pitter-patter. Come walking in, Mama, Daddy, I need to talk to you. First of all, I'm like, I want to sleep, and then I'm like, oh, got to do it. <laughs> so just imagine the foot of our bed, and some little fella, or sometimes two or three little fellas, sits on the foot of that bed, and they say, you know, somebody said this to me at church. Now, y'all know what my practice is in my profession. I'm an attorney, and through the years, I kind of think I've gotten pretty good at cross-examination. I'm telling you, nine times out of ten, maybe eight times out of ten, when that scenario comes up, through my cross-examination skills, I discover that my child said something or did something. Oh, horrors! <laughs> now, you said what? And then they said this to you? And then who cold-shouldered you? We have worked through a lot of issues at the foot of that bed. Now, as we close here today, I'm volunteering myself for the foot of your bed. Y'all ever seen the mayhem guy, you know, on State Farm? He pops up everywhere and he's causing all this trouble, you know? You know, you see him sitting there in the car and the car wrecks. And I, well, just picture me in my suit laying there between mom and dad in the bed. I volunteer my services to you. What's Brother Tim doing in there, mama? He's here to help us with the foot of the bed issues. <laughs> I hope I'm not mayhem, though. <laughs> but I volunteer my suit and my tie and my, I'll take my shoes off, but I'll lay between mom and daddy when the issues come, and I'll help you cross-examine and work through that and realize your child's not perfect either. Did you know that? My children love me, and then one of the reasons they love me is because I've, I've helped them see how imperfect they are because they come from me. Somebody tells me so-and-so did this, and I think, yeah, you know, that's what I did. <laughs> Whatever you need me for. The foot of the bed, the phone call, the text, my love for you has not wavered. But if you want to sign the death warrant of the church, parents don't have those foot of the bed conversations. You'll sign the death warrant of the church for your children. And furthermore, you will cripple them from learning how to get along with people in the workplace one day and learning how to get along with people out in the world. You will cripple them. All right. Let me leave you with the story of a little fella. I don't know if I can tell it. Just how important this is. There's a little fellow that came to church here many years ago. He was, he was hungry. And he went home and he told his mom. He said, Mom, I found it. That's where I want to go to church. That's where I want to be. But the mom didn't have the courage to do it. She didn't have the courage to bring him here. She didn't make the sacrifice. She didn't get out of her comfort zone. I love that little fellow. I still love him. I wish he'd walk through the doors of the church today. And I pray maybe one day when he turns 16 and he gets his driver's license, he'll think back to that time that he came. He'll think back to the blessing that he received. 
And maybe when he can make his own choice, he'll show up. What a blessing God's kingdom would have been. But they missed it. They missed it. Oh, brothers and sisters, I speak and it makes me emotional because I almost missed it. I almost consumed my life on my own lusts and my own desires. To where I would have missed this, I wouldn't have got to hear that sweet confession this morning. I wouldn't have been able to hear what was said last week or the week before. I would have missed it. But by the grace of God, I stand before you. And by the grace of God, I've been here for 20 years. And by the grace of God, I'll be here as long as the Lord wants me to be here. Child of God, don't be like the rich young ruler. Sell what you got to sell. Bid farewell to who you must, as Elisha did. And as Jesus told the one who wanted to follow him, let the dead bury the dead. You have work to do in the kingdom of God. I don't want to let you go. He's so beautiful. (laughs) But I've got to. And if the Lord tarries, I hope every single one of you are still here 20 years from now. And we'll look at each other and we'll smile. And we'll say, as we can say today through the last 20 years, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. It's changed my life. Has it changed yours? If there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord, we give it opportunity as we stand and sing.